0: Welcome to the Israel Bible Podcast. My name is Cindy Parker, and I am an author, a speaker, and the Professor of Holy Land Studies at Israel Bible Center. I am passionate about reading the Bible in the physical, historical, and cultural context of it today, and I really love having geeky conversations with people about new things. I am joined once again with Professor Pinhas Shir, the associate professor of ancient cultures. We get to continue being super nerdy over a shared favorite book, Deuteronomy. When I talk with people about Deuteronomy, sometimes they know it because it includes the 10 commandments. But they also know the book because Jesus quotes it 3 times in a row when he is in the wilderness confronted by the tempter or Satan the accuser or the devil? Hey, we just did a live seminar on that topic. In a couple weeks, you'll be able to go to IsraelBibleCenter.com and look under the roundtable talks. You'll be able to find the conversation there. Anyway, I'd like to think that Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy to himself the whole time he was in the wilderness, which is why those words are at the forefront of his mind. But I want to find out what Pinchas thinks about this. 40 days in the wilderness. And then we have the temptation. If you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. And then Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy eight or how we categorize it. Now chapter eight. Man should not live on bread alone. Right. (laughs) So (laughs) why, why does this even make sense as the first temptation?
1: Well, first of all, What I'm explaining in the course is how there's so many parallels between the Torah and the Gospels. And really, it's the same story all over. You know, in the Torah, we read about Israel wandering in the wilderness, right? Here we have Jesus in the wilderness. And you've been there. You know what it looks like. It's not necessarily Sahara sands or anything like that. But it is a pretty desolate, rocky place. Not a lot of stuff. Surrounded by rocks, by the way, right? So you got these big chunks everywhere. And, and so this is something, of course, that happened before, but it happened with Israel. Israel is wandering, you know, in the wilderness. So you got 40 years, 40 days. So there's a lot of parallelism that goes on. And, and, and I get into some of those details and I want to see, for, for people to see the connection that what happens in that story, the reason why the authors of the gospel tell us the stories, because to them... This is their story. This is their family history. This is what they have gone through as a people. And now Jesus is going through that in a miniature way, so to say, not on Sinai, but, you know, here in the land of Israel, but still nevertheless being isolated and being tempted in the same way that the people were tempted in Israel. So each temptation is going to basically hit a pivotal point of some of the things that the people of Israel were tempted with. In the wilderness only they have not succeeded in that temptation they have fallen into that temptation and of course the challenge for yeshua is not to fall into that same temptation not to repeat the past sort of say to be better in that sense and in that sense becomes he becomes god's son by the way you know torah refers uh, to israel as god's son or the prophets talk about out of israel i called my son so and. And so that, of course, gets applied to Jesus in the gospel, but originally it's about the people of Israel. And so in Exodus, Israel is called the firstborn of God. You know, so here we have all these parallels with the son of God, son of God, Israel, son of God, Jesus, son of God. So he has to go through the same trials. He has to go through the same type of temptations. And of course, he succeeds. And so the tests that we see described in the gospel is a retelling, a rehashing of the same story that we see in the Torah. And people are familiar with that. And so they actually know the, what, if, what is going on here. It's just that what they don't know is how Jesus is going to react. And curiously enough, what does he lean on to fight this temptation? He leans on the very words of the Torah. And it's all about their uh, chapter six, chapter eight, I think, uh, of Deuteronomy. That's kind of where all his answers come from. So it is the story of Torah being repeated again. And each temptation is just a reiteration of the things that people were tempted. So like the first one, turn this stones into bread, right? You know, so bread, you know, one of the things that we have in the God, in, in the story of the Torah is the bread coming from heaven, right? People are hungry. And at all times, people are grumbling and complaining, quote unquote, right? About what? About not having food. So God says, you know what? I'm tired of this. I'm just going to rain food from heaven. So, and and this is that same test, right? Is he going to endure this time of not having food in the wilderness? Or is he going to use his ability to say to a rock, all right, you're bread now, and change that? And he's surrounded by rocks, pretty much. That's what he's got. So, that's the temptation, that's the solution. And so his response where he's drawing on strength is he falls on Torah, which is surprising, I think, to some people, but people don't realize how central these texts, uh, and this is, my point is Deuteronomy is very central to an Israelite spiritual experience. They're drawing for strength. Jesus is drawing for strength by quoting Deuteronomy, not some other place. I mean, he could have gone so many different places, but he chooses Deuteronomy.
0: In the second temptation... It's the one where he is tempted. And so there's worship me, and I will give you these domains. And then Jesus replies out of Deuteronomy six: worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. That's Deuteronomy six thirteen. And it does seem that the whole chapter six, like more than six thirteen, but the whole entire chapter of Deuteronomy six seems to play in here. What do you think is, is core to what this temptation is trying to get Jesus to do and how it is that he is resisting that?
1: My take on this, and this is just maybe my, my personal view, is that the temptation is for him to take something that would belong to him anyway, right? But to take it now, to have the immediate satisfaction of being the king right now, right at this moment and forego everything else that is still on his plate yet to come. And so that's the temptation, um, essentially usurp, you know, take, take over, uh, don't follow the prescribed path, by simply do a shortcut, the end result. I think that's the big, that's the big temptation, but it comes with, you know, there's the promise, right? Of that's what's going to happen if, but in order to do that, what do you have to do? You have to do something you're not allowed to do, and that is to give homage and honor and worship to someone who's not God. And that's really the pivotal point. That's why he quotes or he quotes. You know, you can only worship God. I can't do that. And because I can't do that, even though this end result is definitely desirable, you know, I'm not going to go for it. So it, it, it becomes this big turnaround. But again, it, it takes you back to Deuteronomy. And I have an interesting thought um, to share. I heard this years ago. Um, a friend of mine, Rabbi, explained to me that all these quotations actually come from the same parsha. It's the same passage. And these passages curiously are read at a very particular time of year. And they all read together. And so if this is what was read in a synagogue last week, and he still remembers it. And then he goes into the wilderness. That's what is he meditating on? The things that were just read. So he just conveniently quotes from the passages the word just uttered, just past worship service. I mean, this is it's I know it makes it sound almost like human, you know, because people want to think about Jesus knowing every word in the Bible, walking around kind of having this encyclopedic knowledge or anything like that. But I think there is a human part of Jesus that's just like us and what occupies our mind is most relevant and most recent and for him that's recent maybe it was that time of year when that particular passage was being read that's and that's what's on his mind he goes in he has the temptation and that's what's in his mind so he brings those things right out
0: the very final temptation is the one where they go up to the pinnacle of the temple which everyone has different ideas as to where exactly <laughs> that is we don't really
1: know let's put it that way we can't we yeah. kind of guessing.
0: But the throw yourself down and basically the angels who are guarding you will come and sweep you up, which is a quote itself from the Psalms. Oh, by the way, if you want to hear Dr. Nicholas Shazer's take on how the tempter looks like a fool right here... Go listen to our conversation called What is Jewish About a Genealogy? I am fairly confident that is episode 13. And while you're there, like or follow this podcast on any of the podcast hosting sites like Apple Podcast and Spotify. Even better, leave a review so other people can find us. And thanks. then Jesus says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So what is always interesting about these conversations and what Jesus is doing and that you pull out in your course is it's not just these particular words. It's not just that you're not supposed to test God, but it's everything about the whole context of where that quote is coming from in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy makes it a thicker more meaningful and richer kind of answer. So what is happening there?
1: So if you go back to Deuteronomy where the original quote, sort of say, the way original as it comes from, and you read the whole passage, uh, bigger context, sort of say, then you realize that God is speaking about actually very particular tests. God does not want us to test Him as He was tested at Massah Okay, and if you read the whole Torah and you read other passages, not just in Deuteronomy, but in other places, and for example in uh, Bamidbar and Numbers about the testing at Masa, then you know the type of testing that we're talking about. This was a very terrible moment in history, especially for Moses, because this is where Moses loses. The one thing that he's looking forward, and that is leading people into the land of promise. Moses tested God. I don't know if I get into this in, in, the, in the course or not. So, this is definitely a bonus here, but he tests God. And God never wants to be tested. Uh, he's putting God to the test by basically disobeying God in a very specific command. Like God tells him, do this. Moses does something completely different that is his own version of what God told them to do. And then everyone stands and looks, is God going to actually do it? You know, because God tells them, speak to the rock. Moses goes and strikes the rock. Instead, God tells them, speak to the rock. Moses strikes the rock multiple times. I mean, some of the Jewish commentators say the first time he hit it, nothing happened. He's like, okay, God, I'm going to do it second time. And so God does respond. And God does provide water from the rock, but that was not what God said to do. He said, speak to the rock. So this is where Moses tests God, essentially, by manipulating God to do something that God wasn't commanding him to do. So that's the disobedience. That's the terrible sin of Moses. People don't fully understand, like, why such a punishment? Well, because Moses tested God. And so that becomes a big issue where God gets to test us all throughout the Bible. We are constantly tested by God, but we do not get to test God. This is where our relationship is totally not equal. So in that temptation, that's what comes out. That context from Deuteronomy, do not test me as you tested me, okay, in this place, in Masa, in Meribah. Do not test me in this way again. Because it's not going to end well. So here is another test. Oh, go throw yourself off. You know, jump. He did say he's going to catch you. And of course, Jesus says no. And what
0: a public way to just proclaim in such a dramatic and public form. Like it would be quite the spectacular reveal. (laughs) Right. Spectacular (laughs) reveal. If he just jumped
1: and he didn't drop and he actually flew. right? Yeah. The lure is real, the bait is real, the temptation is quite real. And again, what he goes back to is, we've done this before. We have been on this road, we have tested God. And even though there were no repercussions for Israelites, there were repercussions for Moses. Moses died just on the outside of the borders of the land of Israel. And he didn't get a chance to lead a people in. So um, his response is completely basing it on history, basing it on Deuteronomy, says we're not supposed to behave that way. So stop asking me to do what I simply am not willing to do. All of these temptations are deeper if we start bringing a context Deuteronomy in. And that's essentially what I'm doing in in the course. I'm taking people back to the original context.
0: And it's amazing because these temptations happen right as, as Jesus is coming onto the public scene, into his public ministry. And so the writers have to be telling us something very specific about here's Jesus. These are the very specific temptations, the way they mirror what the Israelites went through. And the fact that Jesus is kind of going in our history, in our past, this is where we made a mistake. This is where I'm not going to make the mistake is and it is all by leaning on the book of Deuteronomy. It's really beautiful.
1: Yeah, well, that's why you know I talk about Deuteronomy in the Gospels and that's kind of the whole first commandment idea because it goes back to these pivotal key messages in the book of Deuteronomy that's supposed to keep us on this path. Uh, it's just there's a lot of misunderstandings about Torah in general, I think uh, among people because people have this idea of a law in their mind. And, and of course, for for Jews, Torah is, is a teaching, it's an instruction, it's something that points the way, it guides the way. It, it's much broader idea than most English or even Greek equivalents have in mind. So I think um, when we start thinking in that Hebrew way, essentially, it opens up a lot of Books for us, it opens up Torah, but it also opens up the Gospels for us too, in many ways, because that's how I think people in the Gospels were thinking.
0: Well, thank you very much for talking about one of my favorite books. I love it.
1: <laughs> what is it that you love about Deuteronomy? You got to tell me. <laughs> I know it. I know it's. Uh, uh, it has some very interesting um, geographical data. It <laughs> that does strikes you close.
0: The first thing that ever hit me about Deuteronomy was the word remember. And it, it came right after a time when I was super mm. critical about religion in general and had a throw my fist up in the air moment of, you know, God, why don't you prove yourself? And like had a very distinct sense of if I prove myself, you are responsible for remembering that you don't get to be an armchair critic forever. And that really struck me. And then shortly after I was engaging the book of Deuteronomy, I don't know why. And remember, 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 is all throughout the book. And I kept going, (laughs) ah. so that was my initial, like kind of
1: keyword that etched you in.
0: It did. Yeah. And then later, studied Hebrew Bible, then later went to Israel, looked at the land. And then I was like, "Ah, oh, Deuteronomy, it's a very earthy book. You know, it's very, very connected to the actual experience of the land. And this whole idea, you know, at the end where it's talks about these commands are not far from you. The idea that it, this isn't theoretical, this is something that can be lived out and done now. And I, I think all of that has been fascinating.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I know one of the places you, uh, you like is is the uh, Mount of Baal and Mount Gerizim. And to me, that's an ultimate replay of the chapter we were just reading this week. So we were reading Rea, So and in that chapter, God says, see before you ascend, life and death, blessing and curse. And then when Israelites come into the land, and that's where they're stationed, It's that same thing, the mound of curse, the mound of blessing, you choose. And it's the ultimate, I think, calling on most of us is to make a choice. I mean, how often in life do we have that offer? Do this or do that? And each one of our choices, of course, carries its own consequences. But I think this is where the Torah is guiding us towards the choice. I mean, when I read like Reyeh, it's like, how can I not choose this? I know this is the right way. Why would I choose the wrong way? Like everything up to this point was leading me in choosing this way. And so it becomes almost like uh, God has been leading me to this moment in my life to make a right choice. And that's the story of Israelites. And and it repeats over and over and over. And I think it's a never ending story, actually. And it repeats in our lives today.
0: I love it. That's really nice, like bringing it back around, even to that conversation of how do I have eternal life? And it's- yeah. just- well, right there, Deuteronomy is saying, this is life. Yep. This is death. This is how you have it.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's the context. We have to learn how to think how ancient people thought. Uh, because in our modern world, it is so easy to be driven away with whatever our current thinking is. And all the thinking that has taken place since that moment on doesn't play in. To those words, to those ancient words we read. And if we learn how to bracket that, I'm not saying forget it because we can't. We can't strike it for a moment. If we learn to just sort of bracket and say, okay, I'm not going to go here. This is the forbidden zone, because I know that was not what they were thinking. So where else can I go with that? And that's, I think, that's where we discover the true essence of these ideas, when we can bracket that. Knowledge and that conversation has now has been going on for thousands of years, and all the theological books that have been written on these topics.
0: If you want to continue to embrace Deuteronomy and learn about it from a direction that might be new to you. You can enroll today in Professor Shear's course, The First Commandment, Deuteronomy and the Gospels. As always, I will create a link and put it in the show notes of this episode. Join this course with others, and you can even earn a certificate in Jewish context and culture from IBC. Thank you to Jeremy McDonald from Mason Jar Music for doing an amazing job mixing, editing, and crafting all the good sounds you hear. And thank you for hanging out with me and being curious about all things Deuteronomy related.